equals uh, one million people. And also, uh, maybe I, the I would, this is, session. Is, is that people really don't understand this whole DeFi thing, and people are not educated. Or um, to your point, Tyler, like you should have known this when you gave gave in, and the gas fees and everything else. Um, I think it was the same article that I heard today, but it was like people don't understand. If you're giving into a DeFi, here are the risks. If you're giving into a regular centralized, um, normal investment scheme. Here's how it works, and people don't understand those differences, and so now they're not getting like if you gave, as you said, the two hundred dollar um, dollar amount, getting it out, it's going to burn all gas fees. Hey Jennifer, do you think, depending on what countries this was offered into, um, in, in in the U.S. maybe even what states, that some people might complain to regulators and say, you know, it was a it was a securities offering that wasn't registered and wasn't approved and. We want to go sue somebody now because we lost money. Um, good God. Uh, sorry. It is. But I think this area is so, um, I, I just, I don't even have anything on this, but it's, um, there's so much where we are so kind of in the know and on, on it with the conversations we're having with this group or with on here on clubhouse with this group i feel like we're so ahead of the game because i keep hearing in the news they bring these things up but i'm like oh my god you're like decades or layers behind and even understanding how it works or the potential applicable uh, applicable regulatory schemes etc and so tyler the stuff that you're bringing up today you're you're saying it's it's like not news this stuff was coming up today or yesterday in like here's these people don't even understand what's going on with this and and their fees here and there and with that all in i love all in and those guys and then also there's um other ones with the the difference between DeFi, like things that happens if you're in the DeFi world the digital world if you get hacked you have no one to go after that's the you need to understand this with the DeFi world versus the production you have in the regular regulated world etc it gets super complicated so I don't have an opinion. It's I'm just I find this all kind of on the cutting edge here. Yeah, Good question. Francine and Jeremiah both participated, so I'm picking them both in. But what's notable to note is the people who participated had Ethereum to spend, right? So, because this all happened in 48 hours. There weren't people who from cult from a cold. You know, people without Ethereum thinking, oh, this is amazing. It's so amazing that I'm going to figure out in the next 24 hours how to acquire Ethereum just to participate in this. I would say that would be an incredibly rare scenario. I'm willing to bet the overwhelming vast majority of people who participated already had Ethereum to contribute. Those people know what gas fees are. <laughs> and they know what the gas fee rate is. Or, 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 Tyler, to your point, may or may not know the gas fees, but getting everything converted, that was a monumental effort on my part, and I would think I could, could navigate that. So whether they even, uh, they may not understand gas fees, but it's still a monumental effort to get through that, right? So once you've done that, you should understand it, and once you're um, in that world, understand that whole fees structure, to your point something else interesting happening that I just tweeted out. So the author of this article, there was actually two. One of them is named Jason Kobler from Vice. And Jason took to 
Twitter 10 hours ago to say, I followed WTF, what the fuck is happening in the aftermath of the failed by the Constitution crypto project this weekend, and I'm here to report it is not good. Right, okay, you're fear-mongering, you're doing what the, what the crypto community calls FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And he wrote the article uh, <clears throat> about the aftermath of this auction for the Constitution. And you, it, he makes it very plain in his very short little tweet that he's following what the fuck's happening in the aftermath and the failed auction and He's here to report that it's not good. Okay, we got you, Mr. Kobler. Now, Josh Constantine, who himself is a journalist, who's actually more uh, a borderline geek. As far as journalists go, Josh actually has a bit of Greek geek credential. And he took to Twitter three hours after that tweet to say, I'm confused why this article from Jason Kobler is claiming that the Constitution DAO was a disaster and keeps calling the donors, in, quote-unquote, investors, despite quoting the site saying the opposite. It's organizing 17,000 strangers. Is organizing 17,000 strangers chaotic? Sure, of course, obviously. But it's uh, explicitly told to them that they had to pay gas for a refund in, before they participated. They were told in advance, you're going to have to pay the gas for if any kind of refund happens. And then Josh includes in his tweet a screenshot of the agreement where he says, Constitution Dow also said that donating to the project should not be considered an investment. And you are receiving a governance token rather than fractional ownership of the artifact itself. Your contribution to Constitution Dow is a donation with no expectation of profit. This was the stated terms of service. And he, and he makes it perfectly clear. And then Jason responds to Josh Constantine by saying, all of the of all the good tweets about our article, this tweet by this person is definitely the best. Well, maybe so, but he's completely exposing you as a as a shenanigan fraudster for trying to create what the community calls FUD, fear, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And he's just exposed you, Mr. Kobler. Not as a journalist, but as a fearmonger. And then you yourself respond to your own tweet saying, the, the guy who made a career boosting startups, talking about Josh Constantine, who's a very well, one of the best known tech journalists, who is actually somewhat liked by geeks, actually. He says, this guy, Josh Constantine, who made a career boosting startups by parrot, parroting their press releases for like 10 years and then pivoted to being a VC, suggesting we should take a project at face value and use their language exclusively is too good. Okay, Jason. Connor, this gets into, wait, get into this, get into, well, if you could dig into this a little bit deeper, uh, two comments back or so. So um, participation in a DAO uh, is a little bit more like um, an LLC, right? Where you have uh, ownership interests and that versus ownership of the asset that you would have gotten. So the comment that you just made is that they would have had voting rights in the DAO versus an ownership interest in the Constitution um, points out that that's exactly spot on as to what how DAOs are set up and what they do. They are an organization and then they decide internally whether they have ownership interests or not or um, voting rights over um, acquiring and disposal and etc. of assets. So 
people don't understand these things. And it was interesting to me to hear how many um, different reputable news sources don't even understand what, or even are familiar with DAOs. I think this could be complicated, but um, that was a great example you gave. I don't think that the, uh, the token, the people token, had any governance rights to the DAO. And that was one of the issues. You're super loud, Tyler. Craig is loud, yeah? No, that's Oh, Craig, yeah. Craig, sorry. Um, sorry, not Tyler. I was, <laughs> I was in the room when Jeremiah was discussing this because, you know, he and uh, Dr. Franzen also contributed, right? So when, when I asked them, uh, I just, because he, he mentioned that for every hundred of, uh, you know, uh, well, equivalent that they don't, that's not that they invest, inverted commerce into this, they have to pay $80 of gas fee. So I actually asked them, you know, so what if you have to refund them, they have to pay for gas fee and in, in, in the end, they may have run, they may run into a loss, right? So when I describe these people as donor, because if, if they are donors, meaning to say that when you put something in, you are not expecting anything in return, right? But he actually said that they are, they are actually not donors, they are investors. That's what he said. And he said that um, this is not the end because he, apparently he thinks that at least $10 million will still be, be, be remaining and they'll probably do it, use it for something else. So maybe uh, during the later session, I mean, the next session, we can actually get Jeremiah in to, 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 to share with us more about this. I think but Cheryl, what, you're, what you're explaining is correct. So whether the, um, the funds they put in, it's not like they gave them in for that. They may have given them intentionally for that purchase, the um, Constitution. But as you're pointing out, um, they're actually getting into the DAO and saying, we want it for the Constitution, and if we don't get it, we want it back. And then they're agreeing to those, those return gas fees, internal gas fees there, and then reverse gas fees. But a DAO, it's like looking at an HOA or something else. It's like you buy or an LLC. You're buying into the LLC to do what it's supposed to do. And so this was one activity it was going to do. And a DAO is not usually limited by – I have no idea what they're usually limited by, but – but that this would be limited by raising money for for this one purchase um, is interesting. And so people all complaining and saying that they're going to get back. So to your point, it's um, if you're giving it in and then it was only for that one purpose, you're going to pay the gas fees to get it out. Or is it a DAO that's a DAO and one possible purchase is the Constitution? Um, if we don't get that, we're still a DAO and we're going to buy other things. Like what's the purpose of the DAO? What are the operating structures of the DAO? Right. And, and Right. So go on. Yep. Yeah. And it's on the person participating to understand for themselves. Correct. Do we understand yes. there's a thing called personal responsibility or do we not understand that? Yes. Tyler, I agree with you, but I, I do think, you know, I'm against regulation in general. Um, I mean, this DAO is a beautiful thing potentially to replace corporations eventually as smart contracts living up in cyberspace. And people um, around the world can I, I just, tokenize stuff, but, I but just this think, could be an example of regulate where regulation is required. I, don't know. I just saw a cobra running on the ground and I ate it, and now I'm going to die. But there was no sign on the cobra that said it would kill me. So where's the regulation on labeling well, po poisonous animals? Let's away from smart contracts and and what they really are. So smart contracts versus intelligent algorithms, etc. So. Um, DAO is an organization that is giving ownership interest and thus voting rights um, decentralized based on um, tokens, etc. Again, you need to think about it and to make it um, for people to understand, is it analogous to a, an organization? And this organization was set up to buy the Constitution or was it set up to buy, set up 
and then by the constitution or we have other activities if that doesn't happen and then you need to understand when you're giving that money as Tyler's saying whether you understand or not you need it you're the one who needs to be accountable for giving your funds to this um and how that works and it's a DeFi network so it's not regulated it's not going to be regulated under current regulation it's not a current um structure so analogize to how that works right does that make sense i'm, I'm probably i have a question though if anybody knows who actually collect the gas fee and how much do they make out of this gas fee so that 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 platforms the platforms go the platforms that's the cost of running the transactions so they, they don't make any just just so the uh, but so, uh, so so there's no profit at all it's correct. totally cost correct and well, it's the miners. Money. It's the miners of Ethereum. The miners do. And this correct. Is, this, this is why they want to move over to proof separate of stake. Separate from the DAO. No, wait, 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 wait. Don't go down that track. Don't go down that path. It's separate from the DAO, right? So it's very separate. Those are, that's like, um, Cheryl, that would be like your Visa 3% cost. Yes. Transaction versus. Transaction so fees. That's the whole <laughs> um, stake versus um, whatever the hell it is. Stuff. Totally interesting, but separate. Yeah, but they are the ultimate winners of this whole thing, right? Because they are making the money, right? The mm, barely. So, the the gas fees pay for the architecture of all of the computers running the Ethereum network. If you have a anyone, and you could do it too, you can plug in a computer to run into the Ethereum network, and then you would get some of the gas fees that your computer earns, similar to mining bitcoins. Your computer's being used for a purpose, and ideally, you'll get paid for your computer and the energy in your house that you're burning. And generally, most people don't see that as a good value, so they don't do it. Yes. Right. So if, if well, you're in energy, energy, right? that's separate from the transaction of... Oh, but of I'm just answering her question, where the gas fees yeah, went. Yeah. So... Now you went. Now we understand where the gas fees went. the The journalists themselves didn't know anything about gas fees or where they went, and this part cracks me up. So he went so far. This Jason Kobler, J Jason Kobler, really wanted to understand. And let's ask yourself: Is he do, what I'm about to read next? Is he doing this to potentially uh, for legitimate reasons, or out of his own legitimate curiosity, or to try and paint a negative light? and try and create fear, uncertainty, and doubt. He says, um, we donated $200 to see how this played out in practice. Now, that's a really interesting amount to choose because that's precisely the amount where you'll lose pretty much all of it due to gas fees. If you were to donate $1,000, the gas fees are the same, essentially, for $200 and $1,000. But if you donate $200, that's almost exactly what will get eaten in a transaction. So that's really interesting coincidence that you're donating exactly the amount that will get eaten. So he says, we donated $200 and good that he said donated because the, the, the part to participate in this, the language says how to donate. And it talks about gas fees in clear black and white. Like there's no attempt to hide this at all from the participants. It says gas fees. How to donate video, the members of, you know, explain everything about the fees. So he, even after reading how the gas fees work, he's like, well, I want to actually lose 
So let's see how this works. So he puts in $200 to see how it will play out in practice. He says, here's how it actually looked. To get our money back, we would lose 90% of what we put in to the gas fees. Yeah, exactly. That's, how, that's called math, Jason Kobler. There's this thing called um, plus and minus. And if, there, if you have more pluses and minuses, then, you know, this is, if, you, if you're having trouble with these concepts, you need to go back to second and third grade, my friend. This is really simple stuff. Anybody who participated in this should have absolutely known this. That's why I said every geek was talking about this when the funds were being collected. What we were talking as the funds were being collected. Hmm, what happens if they don't win the auction? Well, uh, everyone's going to, you know, everyone knows they're going to not be able to, if they invested less than $200, then they can kiss it goodbye because it's going to get eaten due to gas fees if they try to get the money back. They could, of course, keep it and use it for another auction for another day, which I'm sure this journalist doesn't even mention that because he wants to, that's not his mojo. That's not his whole operation here. His whole operation is to, you know, try and expose some corruption in, in the tech space, you know, that's, that's what journalists do in 2021. So, and, and for good reason, there's a lot of corruption to be exposed. This doesn't really, uh, isn't a good example, but they're trying to make it one. So uh, he's, bemoaning you know and i'm curious if he actually put in his own money because he couldn't read uh, a description it's like I, I need to build this ikea furniture because i can't understand how it would go together by looking at the diagrams that they provided so, um i don't know i don't know when you when you go to when you order your ikea home delivery you don't expect the uh, delivery fee to be 90 percent of the, the furniture price you, so, if you're I mean, if you, you work you, for you, ikea you, you do what you and I, yeah, you and and I bad, may no, know. bad analogy because you choose you choose what you're donating there. So if you donate, you know, a million dollars or six thousand dollars, the gas fee is de minimis, right? So you know this if you're donating to a DAO, and you should understand this. Um, okay. And I'm just saying it, it's it's not instant. It's not like a, the normal person out there goes, oh, let me let me buy ETH and then send it over here. It's it's there is a chain that takes some time to have done. And hang on, you do, should understand the gas do, do we not understand point. that if there were participants who felt uh, ripped off, do, don't you imagine that this journalist would have loved to have gotten in touch with those people and quoted them in his article? I mean, I 100% agree that this is dubious speculation. And if you're participating in that, you can expect to lose your money. And those of us who have been in crypto for a while understand all this. Right. I, I totally agree with all right. that. But, but I mean, this is why Vitalik wants to move from proof of work to proof of stake because the gas part is broken. Yeah, Understood. oh, totally. The whole community agrees with that for the most part, not all, but your point's well made. My point is, Tyler, this guy is, is grieving on behalf of nobody. The, the, he's not found. Normally journalists, what they do is find somebody who's wronged quote them that they were wronged, hear their opinion. It's about their, this is what, uh, which unfortunately, again, just your daily and not even daily hourly example of a journalist uh, with an agenda using their own opinions. That is not journalism. Journalism is you go find somebody who was a victim, quote them, 
let them say everything. You as a journalist need to keep your opinions out of this. That's journalism. If you start injecting your own right. opinions, you're a fucking blogger. Okay? So, advice, if you're a network of bloggers now, kudos. If, that, if, that's, if you're activist bloggers, anti-tech activist bloggers, which is what it seems to appear to be, great. Call yourself that. But stop pretending to be journalism. This is not journalism. You don't have a victim in this story. Go ahead, Amy. Oh, Tyler, I was just going to share that um, I was sharing with Craig that what that basically is is minor extracted value, and it's a problem that's being solved algorithmically by an organization called Flashbots. And they are actually been working on it because I've been following them and their Discord and their Telegram for like about six months, seven months now. And that problem is, in fact, what Craig said. It's arbitrage of uh, fees. And to Cheryl's question about what they are, the reality of it is, is there's two fees on the Ethereum blockchain. One has to do with the actual management of the chain, right? That's one fee. But the other one is the transaction. The transaction. One's gas, one's transaction. But the transaction is they could arbitrage both of those. And that's actually the biggest problem with Ethereum right now. And that's what they're tr- Vitalik is trying to solve. And other programmers are trying to solve it. And believe it or not, they have already done that. It just hasn't been released yet. It will be released on layer two for Ethereum when they do it in first quarter 22. But I am and have Wait, tested Amy, this Amy, platform. Amy, can you jump in on how um, Solana and Rich Guys, who have lower gas fees? Well, Solana is a venture capital-backed blockchain, so it doesn't. Even, it's not decentralized, and there'll always be money to protect something lost, whereas Ethereum is more decentralized. And if Vitalik goes to getting the layer two, which he's on target to, it will be more decentralized because that's morally what he wants. Whereas Solana, there's a trilemma of the blockchain, which is scalability, security, and decentralization. Solana has the secure doesn't hasn't proved its it's proved hasn't proved its security because it had it had a breach and it's only been about a few years old. It hasn't proved its scalability because it's only doing something like five hundred. Like I'm not sure what the TPS is for Solana versus Ethereum, but. Right now, it might be higher, but once Ethereum Layer 2 comes out, Ethereum will be higher. And then the third one is the third leg, which is decentralization, which it's not because it's backed by VC money. So when you start to look at this, when you start to look at this, Jennifer, you start to see that, yes, you could have a great Layer 2 solution, but everyone that's moving into Solana is definitely looking at a a centralized platform. And I would probably look into Avalanche. If, that, if we're going to go down that road, I'd probably look at Avalanche. And Daniela is doing a wonderful job with his platform and his blockchain. And it is going to, he wants it to be decentralized. And he was literally at Web Summit in Portugal talking about the same thing. And that's why you see him talk about Frogland and the frogs and stuff like that, because he does agree with this and that it can be feasible to be done. Next up. I have another question, though. Oh, boy. If I may. Oh, boy. Here we go. Okay. So maybe Jennifer can answer this. So if somebody wants to do, a team of people wants to do this again, don't you think it's more cost-effective and eco, I mean, more environmental friendly if you just do it over an LLC instead of a so-called Yes, you fax fax me all the papers and I'll sign them. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not the yeah. one to do that. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not more of a to say. But um, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you, Amy, for the nice response. I think you can compare with all the red bouncing project. Instead, it's just doing like style format. So you can see how 
those failed or successful projects in the refinancing, maybe like Kickstarter and Google, you see sometimes the you know the crowdfunding for buying thing and how it ends. Um, many of the many of those doesn't end. You know, you know quite good. So yeah, syndicate fund. So the next one is that the. I think Ellie wants to say something. Yeah, Mike. So, so um, just kind of a. I mean, it would be nice to to not have people be disgruntled with this if there are such people, uh, which I think is a valid question. But uh, it would seem to me that you could, uh, you know, find out all of the people who are who 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 just want their money back and uh, uh, sum that up and make one trans transaction to another cryptocurrency with low fees and refund them in that. Um, all right, next one is an SEC filing that a third party had access to GoDaddy's managed WordPress hosting from September 7th to November 17th, including 1.2 million customer numbers and administration passwords. So if you have a WordPress website, which powers about 25% of the internet, so there's a... Millions of people who run WordPress websites, but that's not the problem. The problem is if you have a WordPress website that is managed by GoDaddy. So when you registered for a domain name at GoDaddy and they said, would you like a website? And you click yes, then you pay attention because that is you likely created a WordPress website in, in that instance. And that WordPress website's passwords have probably been exposed. So if you have any such friends, uh, make note of that. It's really on GoDaddy more than it is on WordPress. Um, but remember, yeah. GoDaddy has a bunch of other um, satellite uh, services that uh, they're all under the GoDaddy umbrella, yes. but it's not under GoDaddy. So you better check it anyway if you have WordPress from whatever uh, provider that you uh, bought the service the next one is Gizmodo, the, which is a tech blog, plans to publish the Facebook papers in batches, redacting sensitive information with help from NYU, uh, Amherst, Columbia, uh, and the ACLU. Independent experts from the NYU, Columbia, ACLU are partnering with Gizmodo to responsibly publish this historic leak of Facebook papers. Uh, okay, well, that ship is pretty much sailed, by the way, but okay. So, because Face, uh, Gizmodo was one of the 12 or 20 uh, publications, the Wall Street Journal was the original receiver of the papers from Frances Hogan. These are the files that Frances Hogan stole from her employer and then shared with the Wall Street Journal. And there were so maybe they'll start using it for journalism schools and stuff like that. Yeah, could be. And there is so many files, thousands of files, that the Wall Street Journal itself couldn't review them all. So they shared them with a whole bunch of other journalists. And one of those was Gizmodo. And rather than carve them up into equal pieces, they said, hey, everybody, here's all the files. 
you dig through the dumpster with us. Let's all jump in this dumpster together and let's see if we can find any incriminating evidence. Turned out they didn't really. So Gizmodo uh, is now taking the bold, ambitious move of publishing all of the files. Uh, but with but they're going to redact the sensitive information like people's names with the help of NYU and the ACLU and Columbia, etc. So I, I don't, again, not particularly newsworthy, but um, I like your point. If, uh, if that was that, I think it was Netta who said, yeah, maybe maybe these files can be an interesting uh, for future, you know, students uh, in journalism to learn, you know, how better to, what not to do. <laughs> it would be hopefully how it's used in the future. So the next one is location tracking service called the Life360 acquires Tile, which makes Bluetooth-based tracking accessories that compete with Apple's AirTag for $205 million. Okay, next up, Niantic, the makers of Pokemon Go, the AR platform company behind Pokemon Go raises $300 million at a $9 billion valuation. Uh, and John Hankey, the CEO, who is... I've had a few interactions with. It seems like a very lovely guy. Uh, took to Twitter to say, excited by what's ahead, investing in our current games, adding new games and apps, and building out the real-world metaverse with the Lightship platform. Next one is um, a Twitter thread of sorts. A former Facebook employee says that Facebook announced a quote-unquote absurdly accelerated timeline for end-to-end -end encryption to met on their messaging apps to preempt antitrust action and generate good PR. Oh no, are, are tech companies doing things to get good PR now? Holy shit, ladies and gentlemen, do, 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 do. a tech company is doing something to get good PR. This is hot news right here, folks. What is going on? So... Um, <clears throat> let's, let's check out this Twitter thread here. Your message on Facebook. So there's an article from the Guardian that says that Meta, aka Facebook, delays encrypted messages on Facebook and Instagram to 2023. We read that yesterday. And the subheadline says that the move comes as child safety campaigners express concern uh, plans should shield abusers from detection. Pl that, that this plan could shield child abusers from detection. And to end encryption, indeed, could shield child abusers from detection. Yes, absolutely. And Evan Greer. Um, says about that article that this makes me sick to my stomach. Disingenuous, think of the children fear and doubt, has led Facebook and Meta delaying the rollout of end-to-end -end encryption in its messaging apps. Let's be perfectly clear, this delay will make children less safe, not more safe. Which there's a good point there. Because uh, there's this debate about Here's the essence of the debate right here. Now people are starting to get into it, where this person's calling out 
uh, saying, whoever is insinuating that this uh, adding or delaying the encryption, you know, that we, we don't want you to do encryption because we worry about the kids. Evan Greer saying, you're full of shit. That's not what's happening at all. Um, and then there's an, a big Twitter debate in this thread where someone named David Thiel says, please stop. Please stop with this. Child safety is not FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, nor disingenuous. Here's what happens with Facebook's haphazard uh, and, and encryption plan from someone who was there and familiar with the underlying systems. So now he, having worked at Facebook, has done a very long Twitter thread on this issue. And he says, management decided to move all messaging within Facebook properties to one integrated end-to-end -end encrypted system on an absurdly accelerated timeline. This had several advantages. Number one, preempting antitrust action to less interaction with LE. What's LE? I'm not sure. Significantly scaled back systems teams. Yeah, you don't, why? Limited mission? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. But it, yeah, of course, there's many advantages to bundling all your three messaging or four messaging apps into one end-to-end -end encryption system. That's the logical thing to do. And he says, when this was announced, systems to identify child grooming, um, sextortion, and CSAM distribution without content inspection were operating at less than 10% of the effectiveness of those systems that did inspect content. It's clear that the majority of harm would escape detection. There was no clear plan to address this. Basically, just got a got to break a few eggs shrug. This led to many prominent resignations from the child safety team. It's an unimaginably rough job, and the prospect of getting 90% worse at it is utterly demoralizing. Apart from this, the end-to-end -end encryption effort was announced with no roadmap whatsoever as to how to achieve it. There were three discrete messaging systems with no interoperability at all, and nobody even knew which stack, if any of them, to build this integrated system on. Yeah, stuff is messy at tech companies, as this former Facebooker is revealing in this Twitter thread, which has got a lot of attention around the debate around why they're doing end-to-end -end encryption. As I said, weeks ago, months ago, and this end-to-end -end encryption thing is going to turn into a huge topic because currently uh, the politicians are just getting their heads around it. The, the public at large are just getting their head around it. And when everyone gets their head around it, it's going to turn into a shitstorm of a debate, just like something along the lines of uh, gun rights in America, because, you know, it's about, is it your liberty or your privacy or your protection or should you should we empower the users or not or should the government be in power are you in power should we give you tools to give you autonomy against from the government it's there you know so it, this is going to turn into a huge debate once everyone figures out what the hell it is and they're starting to figure out what it is and does it really help the children does it help the traffickers does it hurt the children does it hurt the traffickers it's going to go on and on and on and on so Watch out for this. No, Tyler, to your point, huge, huge, because it protects certain people and um, protects certain groups and protects them against certain things, as you're pointing out. Um, this is in the end encryption and requirements and how it plays in with privacy is going to become a huge issue. The next one, Twitter debuts aliases 
for contributors to its Birdwatch moderating program. Handles aren't included in notes they leave on users' tweets. And this was found by our friend Jane Wong in Hong Kong about 12 hours ago. And let's see if The Verge credits Jane for doing this. No, they don't. So there you go, Verge, uh, not attributing the source of the material yet again. So the headlines from The Verge, which should really go to Jane Wong, uh, our friend who joins us here in Clubhouse, says Twitter introduces alias for its contributors to its Birdwatch moderator program. And for those who don't know, Twitter does have a program of human moderators who are not employed by Twitter. These are kind of random Twitter users who are approved by Twitter to moderate content. You think of them as whistleblowers. Of them, I'm sure many people think of, I'm sure people on the right think of them as kind of the Chinese red book, uh, red army who go around and flag content they don't like. And the problem with that was that the the people who participate in that birdwatch program would often be flagging material. And when they leave the comments about the material, they're doing it as part of their Twitter account. So it's tied back to them. So they could be exposed as being the source of the whistleblower to somebody's tweet. So now Twitter's introducing aliases, you know, disguises essentially for those contributors to the Birdwatch moderation program. I hope that makes sense. Because people don't want to understand, you know, uh, they might get themselves uh, a few hot-headed enemies uh, if they're whistleblowing on people's tweets and, and whatnot. So the next one is no it's the whistleblower protection um yes it's totally a witness protection the witness protection program that's exactly what it is the walmart well the the difference is that these whistleblowers are are all on one side of the aisle is the interesting bit so the next one is walmart will be the first to test twitter's live stream shopping platform did you hear that sound did somebody just hear a sound hold on a second audio effects i'm i'm hearing it's like a bell ringing i'm hearing a particular type of little a little yeah yeah maybe you hear that sound that's the sound of this headline walmart is testing live stream shopping on twitter twitter's live stream shopping platform and walmart will be the first to test twitter's live stream shopping platform with cyber deals can you explain that a little bit yes i'm I'm curious who asked that by the way it's sam it's sam Sam. Um, yes you're you're the new kid in the class welcome we've been we've been covering this uh particular math puzzle for six months and for the past six months i've been saying twitter is going to be doing live shopping those exact words have come out of my mouth no less than 40 times and then today the headline is twitter live streaming platform is announced with Walmart as the first uh, partner participant in, on their live streaming platform, and you could have bought. Who are payments? Wait, who are payments going to? Is it going to Square or um, a Walmart app? 
because yeah either let's see let's read the article so um this article comes at the the twitter's new live streaming shopping platform i've done incredibly loud obnoxious and hour-long rants on this issue a dozen times so and by the way not just twitter i've said spotify tinder pinterest TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat would all do it. And guess what? They're all doing it four months after I said they would do it. So uh, we've watched the, the evolution of that. And Michelle, right next to you, who works at Facebook, knows I've been ranting this for many months. And she knew it was coming to Facebook because she works at Facebook. And when Facebook announced it, she showed me the screenshots. And we went and listened to a, a, a live stream with one of the main people at Facebook who's behind it, who turns out to be an old buddy of mine, who's now who joined Facebook to be in charge of that program. So, um, who used to be at uh, Spotify. And Spotify is also doing this, as I said they would do. But here it is. It's finally here. And why is this interesting? Well, because Twitter traditionally makes money based off of advertising. And now Twitter has a whole new revenue stream. And so this is why TikTok and Snapchat and everybody else is doing it. And just for, for Sam, who, and anyone else like Sam, who has not heard one of my 50 rants over the months, what's happened is this thing called China. And it's a country, in, it's in the East, as we call it, even though the globe is round. So anyway, this country um, has an app called Alibaba, which is, you could think of it as a Chinese B2B, yeah, I know. Eastern equivalent of Amazon. And it's huge, just like Amazon. And then everyone was buying all kinds of stuff on Alibaba. And then came along a little startup called Pinduoduo. Do you know Pinduoduo? Pinduoduo was a little unique because they were employing this thing called live stream shopping. They called it was like social shopping. Because it was like a social network, kind of like Facebook, kind of like, um, kind of like um, Instagram to a, to a degree, and pe young people who were not able to be on Alibaba because Alibaba, like Amazon, had a lot of friction to become a seller. Not everyone could become a seller. Your your aunts and uncles and grandparents were not selling on Amazon, and. In China, they saw that as a huge opportunity. They said, well, basically all the big stores are selling on Alibaba, but this, all the mom and pops are not. And we make a platform that's really easy for the mom and pops to sell all of their mom and pop stuff in this cute little app doing live stream videos. And guess what? In four years, they passed Alibaba. That would be like, for example, a brand new app coming out today passing Amazon in four years. That's how fast that took off. And to quantify it a little bit further, just in the past month, one of the sellers, the Lipstick King, one, one content creator on the platform sold $2 billion in one day. What? One guy? So, Dada? yes. He sold $2 billion in one day? Yes. Actually, wow. there were two, if you, if you, three billion, there were two of them because the other one brought in a billion that same day. So three billion in two days between two people. And I've been trying, I've been screaming. What do they sell? 
And that guy sold makeup. Beauty products. Beauty yeah. goods. Beauty goods. Does he have supply? Tyler, looks like we're in the wrong business, man. Well, <laughs> you, you've been in the wrong I'm room in. because I've been screaming this for six months. I am sorry. You, I am late. You, you have been, Tyler. <laughs> I have a question, though, Tyler. Um, I don't know why Walmart is choosing Twitter when there are so many live stream options because Twitter do not have the correct target group for Walmart, right? Cheryl, they're doing all of them. They've done TikTok, they've done YouTube, they've done all the others. Oh, they've done everything. Okay. I think, they're just putting chip, I think they're putting chips on all tables. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know what that lipstick is all about. I think that guy has a supply chain problem. I know. You just, you just Google lipstick brother, you'll see. Because of how incredibly huge... By the way, this is very popular in Thailand, where Lakeisha and I live. And because we've been watching this firsthand, and we've been watching... Thai ladies scramble to jump on board this bullet train of, an, you know, this new tech-empowered ecosystem. It's huge. It's massive. It's unbelievably big, as, you, as I think you now understand, because of the $2 billion in one day. And I've been saying, hey, America, wake up. This is coming your way. I started this in March, saying, this is coming your way. It's unavoidable because it's so incredibly huge. There's no way, it's not possible that every app that has eyeballs, and I even said Tinder, and I even said Netflix, and guess what? Netflix and Tinder have both announced that they're doing this. I was right on both of those predictions. It, it was incredibly trivial to say that Instagram and you know TikTok and Facebook and Twitter would do it. That's obvious. But saying that a dating app and Netflix would do this was to highlight just how incredibly big this movement is. And so I did say those names in my predictions and those predictions have come true. Twitter is notably one of the last to make this announcement, but they did it in a, in a big fashion by announcing they're doing it with Walmart, which is America's biggest retailer. So kudos to them. I'll, to be totally transparent, I have not been a Twitter shareholder uh, until relatively recently. Because of this. Same with Spotify. So uh, even though I would consider Spotify friends and Twitter friends. Um, but because knowing that there's this massive new revenue stream that is going to come into Twitter and Spotify in the term of e-commerce, the e-commerceification of social media is huge because influencers are no longer going to be chasing hearts and likes followers they're going to be chasing dollar dollar bills and millions of them and that means think of it this way sam amazon sells lots of products but the <clears throat> the issue is that most people cannot sell on amazon they don't know how they don't have the time to figure out how to do it or the tools or the resources so the social media apps are going to make it super crazy, ridiculously simple, like making a tweet to have a little e-commerce store on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and all of the apps. Now it gets better than that because you're thinking, well, I don't have any followers. doesn't matter. They figured that out for you. They're going to match your products that you just uploaded to your Twitter profile to other people who do have huge followings and they're going to promote it to their massive followings and they're going to get a little commission of the sale so they're going to match like a marketplace between the influencers and the products 
on the platforms, everybody wins. So the question is, in the future, when you want to buy things, will you buy them on Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, etc., or on Amazon? Well, when you go to Amazon, there's a cute little photo of the object. And in fairness, there are reviews. And I would say those reviews are very valuable. But what people are doing today is they're going to Amazon, reading the reviews, going to YouTube, watching an unboxing video, going to Instagram and learning as much as they can about it. Well, I believe they're going to trust the influencer who's selling it to them on TikTok in the live stream who they can talk with in real time through live streaming. And this is why I keep saying it's going to start with photos. It did start with photos on Instagram and it will turn into video and it did turn into video and now it's going to turn into live stream. I predicted the whole process months ago and here we are with live streaming. It had to come to live streaming and the live because this is how it's working in Asia. The, the, what's working is the live stream shopping because the customer can talk to the seller in real time. And the, the, the best sellers turn out to be wildly charismatic entertainers to watch as a form of entertainment. People sit and watch these for hours because they're wildly entertaining. And you end up buying something while you're watching. That inevitably happens too. So um, that's the future. It's not the future. It's the past. It's four years old in, in Asia. And now it's finally coming to the West. That, and I think you're up to speed. Tyler, is it the same? Is it the same bunch of people who have been like making like little videos about their fruits and whatever, showing it? No, and, it's, uh... it becomes a slightly it's a slightly different skill set to be a good live stream seller than it is to be a good Insta Instagram influencer, for example. So. A lot of the Instagram influencers are going to find out they don't really have the skills to be good live sellers. And the people who are good live sellers are not necessarily the most beautiful people. They're incredibly charismatic, talkative, high energy, fun, a little bit crazy. Um, that seems to be who dominates live stream selling in Asia. Like an auctioneer. Like an auctioneer. Exactly right. An okay. Okay. Yeah, a highly a highly it. informed and I would say trustworthy, I think would be another good characteristic. So if, if somebody seems real and authentic and trustworthy and super informed and high energy, that those are kind of the characteristics. Your next door neighbor type. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it probably because it's coming from a lot of in, in Asia. I don't have expo exposure to it in my uh, scope of influence or the areas that I see this kind of stuff. So um, if this is coming uh, to hit Twitter uh, from Walmart, this is going to be in on everybody's desktop, on everybody's phone. It's going to be smack in your face all the time. So, yeah, Ching is uh, is right, I guess. In this, Cheryl, did you pin this article at the top? It's uh, it shows a screenshot of the live. Okay, I'll do that. The live shopping on Twitter, the first live broadcast. By the way, simultaneous to this, and this is kind of interesting, Twitter is simultaneously starting to roll out, and this is relevant to anyone who's you know a, an avid fan of Clubhouse. Um, Twitter's version of Clubhouse that they call Twitter Spaces is they are really starting to step on the gas over there. 
And I know this because they've approached me to move this program to Twitter Spaces and to pay me to do so. So, um, not only that, they will feature the, their, their hallway, like a clubhouse, you have the hallway, and it would be difficult to use Clubhouse without the hallway, I think many would agree. Currently, Twitter operates their version of Clubhouse without a hallway, which is kind of ridiculous, but they're doing that intentionally because they know when they roll out the hallway, uh, things are going to go bananas. And it's, I can tell you, they've, they have rolled out the hallway for select people, myself included. So when I look at the hallway, I'm watching the sizes of the rooms are getting bigger every day because they have 300 million users. And um, as, as they start to turn on the hallway for more and more users, more and more people go into the rooms, the Twitter spaces, and those spaces are getting quite large. And they're going to really roll it out officially December 1st. And I know this because, like I said, we've had private meetings. They are willing to uh, pay me to move tech news around the world over to Twitter Spaces and, and even promote tech news around the world at the top of the hallway for the 300 million people. So we're going to start that most likely on December 1st. And we'll see how it goes. Um, Tyler, can you say it again? What was that? I'm saying t simultaneous to this live shopping. And that's where this gets interesting because essentially we could do both simultaneously. A, a, a room, a Twitter Spaces room could also be an occasion for live, sh live selling. Live stream shopping. You can actually start selling gadgets and stuff. Anything technology-based. HSM. I like selling. QVC. The power of it is the video part. Because all the groups should be seen. If it's just audio, I think the power, the strength of the live selling. It's not just audio. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not understanding, BB. Just like in this room where we have the content above our heads here, where it's, it's the pinned tweet. I think they call it. Twitter has the same. In fact, let's, to be very fair, Twitter ripped off Clubhouse and then Clubhouse has uh, reciprocated and taken this idea from Twitter, which is the piece of content above our heads. In, in the Twitter version, that can be a video, for example. So we could be here talking. You could click on the piece of content above the at the top of the room, and that would be a live video, BB. Okay, I got it. If that's the scenario, I, I, I mean, if you just did, like you're selling things right now by this form and you just attach a, like the product and by the ping the link, well, I think that's less powerful because the interaction between uh, the influencer and his audience, because he showed just like the lipstick brother, he usually, he know, normally we're just in the with, um, apply all the cosmetics on his face and let audience to judge, and that's the, how how this trends are coming from. Right. Yeah, that's my that. So the it's the question is now what is what is Clubhouse going to do to keep people like you uh, from crossing over to the other side? And if does that mean that this is going to be the uh, you know slowly people are just all going to go? There's a lot of people that I know that don't use Twitter. 
that are, are on Clubhouse. Yeah. But I mean, if this happens and if they if they lose some of their main uh, notable people or, or, you know, more favorite rooms, yeah. then um, it's to be seen what's going to happen. Yeah. Let's Pierre, see what offer they make for you afterwards. Is Pierre on stage or in the room? He was a minute ago. He's the right person to ask because um, he has a tool and we're working on a solution to be able to stream to both simultaneously and in, in audiences in both rooms will be able to hear each other. It's possible. It's possible. That is. Yeah, it's doable. Heyman has been doing it. Uh, I was the first. I was the first in the world to do it about six months ago. Okay, great, fantastic. Yeah, but, but, but still, you, if you just not, you, you can't see the both side the, of the users too. They just hear the sound from the other side, and that's. That like Tyler do he at mainly we see the interactions here, so the other side are just listeners, not the participants. No, no, you can. They, they both can listen and they both can interact. The only thing yeah, is that they can't a... see each other. That's yeah, the only but problem. They... Yeah, but yes. need, for, for example, Heyman will say, "Hey, hey, you know, we have like oh, we have a count from the uh, Twitter space." So you always need this middleman to do this thing, and that's not a direct interaction. I mean, if I put on my, if I, if I have to put on my management cap for a minute, um, I like use, you know, I'm used to, there's a momentum here with all of us here in the rooms and, and the, you know, how the structure works here. But if I have to look at it from Tyler's perspective, the other side makes more sense for him. I mean, why wouldn't people want to expand and, you know, get in front of more eyeballs than, than ever before, especially if they're going to get paid for it, also get some sales things that maybe they like and they want to you know why not it does make sense on that side more than more than that besides the, what's interesting exclusivity for clubhouse is gone also well the more interesting in the context of the format of tech news around the world one of the main objectives has always been but has been functionally limited is the ability to invite in people in real time about the news so when we just talked about Twitter live streaming, if we were on Twitter spaces, I could very easily invite in the founders of Twitter to answer the questions about it in the room in real time. And when I invite them and I say, hey, Ev, Jack, Biz, and I make that, I do that as a tweet and I say, hey, we're in this room right now and we're talking about Twitter live shopping, please join us. And I pin that tweet to the top of the room and I tell the 500 people in the room, please retweet our invitation to them so that they see it. And we get 500 retweets in 10 seconds. That works as a very functional way to do real-time invites to the people in these articles that we're talking about. And let's face it also, Tyler, it's, you know, we're using a lot of um, articles and tweets from Twitter and bouncing that here. So, you know, there's, there's going to be one less step. I mean, again, I like where I am right now with you guys here, but uh, the other one makes more sense right now. Tyler, have they, have they solved the stage size problem? Are you going to do that through the simultaneous broadcast or something? Yeah, for now, it's, uh, it's not going to be, it'll be 13 on December 1st. So we're working on the, the simulcast scenario for the time being. And the, on a related note, Michelle, good to see you back, Michelle. There was a headline that face, Facebook is 
working to bring in big celebrities into Facebook's version of Clubhouse, which I think you call live spaces, if I recall correctly. Uh, live audio. Uh, it's uh, live audio. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's people are, you know, Spotify as well is really ramping up their game and Twitter and Facebook, and here comes social audio in a big way. But it's also happening with I'm, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that it's happening concurrently, simultaneously with social shopping. So you're going to have live audio social commerce. Uh, it could be tremendous. So the next article. All right, Tyler, I just, I'm sorry. I just have a question for Michelle. Is this, you're saying Facebook, does that mean that it's going to cross over to Instagram as well? For now, it's only on the Facebook Blue app, not on other apps yet. But, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's where it's available now. All the all the audio experiences. So the- thank you. I mean, I was just I was just curious because you know I've got an artist that on Instagram we've got seven and a half million followers on that, but uh, we're not really following up with too much on the um, on the Facebook stuff. So I was curious about if that's going to cross over to there. So the next one here, let me, uh, there's our tweet there, pin the tweet, okay. All right, so the next one is the, the information says they have sources that the FTC staff recommended suing Amazon over alleged ring privacy violations earlier this year and began settlement talks. Lena Khan suspended the effort. Oh, really? The FTC staffers earlier this year recommended filing a lawsuit against Amazon over alleged privacy and data security breaches within Amazon's Ring home security business, according to two people with knowledge of the investigation. But after Amazon lawyers began negotiating a settlement with the FTC, the agency's chair stepped in to suspend the work, the people said. Lena Khan, who acted shortly after taking over the FTC, may have pulled back because she wanted to file a broader case against Amazon rather than pursue piecemeal lawsuits. Although her precise reasoning isn't known, Khan and others at the FTC have argued that privacy-related issues shouldn't always be separated from antitrust concerns. As things stand now, the FTC faces challenges pursuing a privacy case against Amazon, although legislation before Congress could, could happen in the near future. Okay. Uh, that's a really interesting one. And I imagine um, that Ring might be in some hot water uh, for some of their clever uh... So the the next one from Reuters says that Uber Eats will let users in Ontario, Canada order cannabis on the Uber Eats app for pickup marking Uber's first foray into the weed market. Oh my God, that's amazing. And that sound that you hear, that sound. The cash register, (laughs) could you put that louder, Tyler? And actually, could you play it frequently? Because you know darn well, as they start to legalize, this is gonna become a massively cash cow business completely, simply because of volume. And so many states that are doing it. And can you imagine what happens when Psychedelics get legalized. Just saying, cha-ching by licks magnitude. I'm I'm looking at Uber's stock chart as we speak. So, um, 
how, how would this inflect the uh, prices of the wheat? Will they go up or will they go down? How is the production fertilities? Because if it's a greater demand, either price go up or other modes into the market. Johanna, it would probably depend on the varietal, the varietal. And Tyler, you know what I'm talking about. You know Flocana in San Francisco and in Northern California, Flocana. It's this artisanal weed and they only deliver in, in San Francisco. I think this would make a really big case for like having the artisanal weed growers to be, have more traction, cash register, for sure. So Johan, to your point, people when they have an experience with weed, they're going after an experience based on the prescriptive methods that they want to take it, whether it's an indica or a sativa, and people have different reactions to it. So it would really be a personal choice so I don't, I think that that alone from a perspective of sales and marketing would mean that which is most popular may be marked up, but the industry itself is not like that. Tyler, do you feel the industry would do that? Because I think the industry is a completely different vibe when they start that cash register movement. What do you think? I'm you just think they'll raise the prices? When you order two pizzas, they're going to ask if you want to... Round. No doubt. Like, seriously, Tyler, that would be super freaking cool that, like, you could order a meal with a side of an indica or a sativa or even an edible for dessert. Like, seriously. Or if you, that would be. Conversely, did, I, if, did I hear you guys? If you order. Did you repeat this? Nada, Nada's like, wait, where's that happening? If you, no, no, if you, order, if you order weed, uh, they'll probably suggest a pizza. So it goes both ways. But, Tyler, then that's massive advertising right there. Oh, my God. Hold on. I'm, I'm, seriously, I'm seriously curious. What did you guys, I missed this first part. Uber drivers are now going to sell weed? No, the Uber yeah. app is. The Uber app. So there's yeah, going nice to be some long, so people are going to go in there. They're gonna get there's going to be some long there's, times there's gonna on Uber. long trips coming up. Hopefully the drivers, you know, deliver it and not consume it on the way. Well, but think about, Tyler, think about Uber where they cycle. If they, like, look at Flink, look at Gorillas. Imagine if Uber ends up allowing cycling for that. I'm thinking, I think Gorillas and the 10 minute delivery, they need to do methamphetamines. <laughs> Will the health insurance go up? I don't know. I really, I know we, we're going to have to wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, if I ask my wife, who's a psychiatrist, she has serious reservation about these things. And I don't know enough about the signs uh, to comment on it, really. But I think it, John's not here, is he? But because no. I think John might know more about it. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence, so I don't have a view on it. But you're, you're right, uh, Amay, because in America, it's been. Um... Kind of the, the, the dam is... It's been more taboo in the United States versus like countries like Netherlands or Portugal oh, that's decriminalized. You just think... Yeah, but Netherlands is not the same as United Kingdom or USA. Well, it will be it soon. Really just depends We're driven it... by science. Well, the Dutch are driven by science as well. Don't assume they're not because oh, they're the microdosing having, capital of the world. A, a, a massive death rate right now? Um, I wouldn't, honestly, unless you have the actual CBC numbers from actually Holland, I, which is only accessible to those that are in the country here, I would probably lean back on that one a little bit, only because, as we just said yesterday, yeah. facts are so facts, but related to psychedelics friend. and therapy, doctors here do, maybe in England they don't, but psychotherapists and psychologists 
and CSWs here do not ward against using alternative treatments for psychotherapy and trauma and trauma release. So be very, and I actually could speak from experience on this. So maybe in England they don't, but there are science, for example, Tyler was starting to begin, and I apologize for interrupting Tyler, the psychedelic studies that have been happening have been happening in Holland for decades. And that is something that's also very, very interested in by San Francisco. So if you could imagine that what makes psychedelics easier than weed, do you see the logic there? That makes it really interesting. And your joke about meth is really an interesting joke because I can make the same joke about Coke because when I lived in London, Coke is thrown around as if it's some freaking uh, candy. So we really have to put it in perspective that marijuana is not a hard drug like cocaine or meth or ketamine also, or GBH. I, I, don't, I totally agree with you there. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that there are uh, psychiatrists who have concerns about it. And so we need uh, long-term studies to be able to tell. I mean, it's like uh, when tobacco was first introduced, everyone was over the moon about it. Well, that's because they were advertised. It was advertised that way. And actually, believe it or not, Professor Asif, the interesting thing about tobacco, and Tyler will probably confirm or deny this, the unique thing about tobacco, that's when the ad, the Mad Men advertisement agencies used to really push it because they used to have a lot of fuse. But tobacco back then was not as tainted as it, as it has been in its farming principles in the past decade or so. So that's like the jury's out on that. The jury's in, but out on that one. I, I, I don't sit on the fence of that one. I completely acknowledge what you're saying, Professor Asif. But I would, one thing that I would say is that I know my grandmother died of lung cancer, never smoked a day of, never smoked a cigarette in her life. She died by secondhand smoke. Okay, that's, that's number one. Number two, my father died of lung cancer. When we saw the films, there was no black in his lung. So you see, you really have to sort of really have each case by case. And I think the science has to be studied in the places where they see these higher cases. And one of my girlfriends came to University of Maastricht to study a particular cancer situation that's happening in the US but is not happening here in Holland. And she was studying with Baruch University and came here for a year. So I just think it's really interesting to see, but you don't see behind the veiled walls of these institutions, these schools, these universities. Because also Netherlands has a huge university that 50% of its endowment comes from Monsanto. So like we really have to sort of look at like all of the angles and the levels. But Tyler, I want to hear what you were going to tag back into about the U.S. in regards to marijuana, psychedelics, hmm. etc. Because well, that's something that's a very different perspective than, for example, a country like Netherlands that's microdosed for decades. Right, right. Well, Amsterdam, I mean, the Netherlands deserves a lot of credit because they legalized drugs long before the rest of the Western world when it was perceived as they were insane for doing so. And they've turned out to be largely potentially on the right side of how to deal with this issue. And the U.S. has now you know, in a very slow, methodical, you know, ongoing, you know, 20 years later, here we are, and we're starting to legalize across the U.S., you know, state by state. And I think we know where it goes next, looking back to the Netherlands, because the Netherlands also has psychedelics. And now psychedelics is being studied and researched in a very sincere way in the U.S. and has been legalized in Oregon, if I recall, as the first state. And similarly, it will go on a state-by-state -state basis. 
And that the point is, as you hinted at the very beginning, that this Uber delivery will also be for uh, psychedelics as well, because those the dispens the the weed dispensaries will also have psychedelics once they're legal to do so. So it's the same vendor. So it's uh, you know in, it's no difference than you know it's like McDonald's not having ice cream, and then now they do. It's it's, it's incredibly simple. Uh, but then this also opens up for example there's uber and there's uber eats and now there's uber munchies or whatever they're going to call it and oh my god that's so cute uber munchies and the point is that why not have uber uh because weed and psychedelics are not food necessarily but so you're going into e-commerce inside of uber uber itself as we were talking about apps, social apps becoming e-commerce, why wouldn't Uber allow you allow you to order anything? Uh, you know, I mean, really anything. Call themselves Uber Cloud. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're becoming a logistics. Uh, right, it's a logistics hub. Delivery. Right, and this is my point. This is the huge opportunity, and no doubt they've considered this. I mean, Uber Eats was pioneered by my dearest friend William Barnes at Uber, who, by the way, that. <laughs> Uber initially offered me the role to run the West Coast uh, for Uber when they were getting started. And I handed that to my dearest friend, William, who did that. And then he implemented Uber Eats in in our hometown of Santa Monica. I believe Bay City's Deli was the very first location in all of Uber Eats, which was our, our favorite sandwich shop. So Uber Eats has taken off tremendously. And I have to imagine undoubtedly they are already considering how to tap into all of the mom and pop stores in your city to bring you the Tyler stuff. right you know it's very interesting I'm literally looking outside my window and I could see the headquarters of uber here in Amsterdam and I have a friend that worked in in uber before she left and worked for Molly and it's very interesting but she actually was working in a division that I found really interestingly odd but not odd after what you're just saying right now but she reported to the senior folks and they were actually looking at uber freight like uber trucking which is interesting because that now takes a whole nother spin on supply chain because what if uber has the trucking fleet yeah that's run by another friend of mine called lior ron who used to be at google then, yeah but then do you see what i'm saying yeah. like she was like it's very interesting because if you look at what you're just starting at the small microcosm of the hypothesis, if it actually spreads out and we spider that out and we take it out a few levels, mm -hmm. you can see them being quite an interesting niche market if they choose to be the main ones to do this. Because then now they distinguish themselves from the rest and what they'll do is they'll pull, they will pull a generation toward them. And you know the challenge that I see happening in some of the countries, especially in Europe, being from New York and the United States is that Europe is aging faster than the US. So the thought process and how people approach things is coming from that mindset. I'm, I'm knowing this personally because I had a roommate that was German and that was her comment about the elections in Germany was is that, wow, there's just not enough people in Germany to flip the, the, the parliament or whatever, right? 
but I just talked to my mate who's a VC guy who's a uh, he's like 25 he works with um, VC capital and he even said it he's like fintech in France is obscenely fast right now he's like the amount of money that's going through fintech in France when I mentioned the news article of France this morning that with bitstamp to him he's like oh my god France is getting so many fintechs but France is also younger Paris is also, you see what I'm saying? So if you follow the demographics and you'll see the way the society will start to lean. And I'm not saying all of Netherlands is like this, but you keenly said that it's Amsterdam, Rotterdam, Den Haag, Utrecht. And these are four cities that make up most of the commerce that come into Netherlands. And they also are average age is probably in the 40s. Maybe Do you know what 50s. the youngest city in, the United, uh, in Europe is? What do it's you mean Birmingham. City? Yes, really? Birmingham. Yes. Oh, that's really that's really a surprising thing. But how big is the population of Birmingham? Uh, nearly two million. Okay, so it's relative. Amsterdam's it, about not uh, one million. Yeah, um, I mean, what I'm saying is this: it's the second largest city in the U UK, and it's the youngest population. Hmm. And I think, compared to Europe, UK has a younger population, if I think, if I'm correct. I would be curious, though, to know, Professor Asif, because I have some dear friends that live in Birmingham, and I know they've had some struggles with depression and anxiety and autism. That could I would be, be weather. I would be, that's what I'm saying. It's more north. I would be curious to know what the suicide rate is in Birmingham, because this is where the interoperability of a lot of... When someone feels like they're not seen and heard by a system, they find other means to do it to kind of engage in society. And if they can't engage, they disengage and they, yeah, uh, right. they pull back. So my question is really indirectly related to Birmingham. Very curious how um, the, de the, the depression or the suicide rate is there because it's not very high here, at least not in certain parts of Holland, but in other parts of Holland it is. And Tyler, shockingly enough, I've seen and known more people that have committed suicide in, in Holland than in my whole life. And it's because of I, two things came up in two of those suicides. And I'm sad to say this, but I'm going to. And what do you think that platform is that came up in both these conversations with the friends? What platform do you think it was? Say the question again. Basically, the, I spoke to two of them, these girls, and their friends of these two girls that committed suicide. What was the platform? TikTok. That was the one that everyone thought they were living Based, the best life. Uh, uh, oh, Instagram. Bingo. It was Instagram. Yeah. Well, Tyler's been going on about it for a long time. I know. That's why I said Tyler would get the answer. But Professor Asif, you got it because you're such a learned student of Tyler. Yeah, no, well, I, because yeah. we've heard so much about it. I'm just it. learning. I'm just <laughs> learning. So hang on. But it's an interesting one to say the least. I'm excited to see if Uber's able to tap into all of the non-food stuff that if Uber Eats is purely dipping their toe into a much, much bigger pool to deliver you everything all the time. Because what that relates into is higher utilization of their network. Because if they're only moving human bodies and then food, that the food alone has been billions of dollars. And if, why stop at food? Why not all e-commerce orders? And now you've got wild utilization. And that means the drivers can get earn a lot more because they're de doing 10 deliveries simultaneously all the time. So Tyler, yeah. I think, Plus driverless can cars. I just say something to Tyler? Yeah. Tyler, you give us really good insights into why X or Y company is do, going to do well. And it will be good for us to know 
in the companies you're investing in, not what you invested 10 years ago, what you're investing to in Amazon. Now. It was Amazon 10 years ago because it was like, this company is going to take over retail. Because, uh, but, uh, uh, and then what's interesting to me right now, everyone knows what's interesting to me right now. I mean, I'm, I'm rather transparent about what I'm excited about. And then it's, it's, it depends on how long of a time frame you want to hold on to things because some things are short-term trades and some things are long-term investments. For example, this whole social commerce scenario that's unfolding, like the Twitter, you know, live streaming shopping that was announced today. I think people don't realize how impactful that's going to be for Twitter's revenue even though the headline is out, I don't think Twitter stock really moved that much. And I wouldn't imagine, I didn't even look like that's how little I care about it because I know it's going to take to my approach to that is how long is it going to take for people in the market to appreciate how big of an opportunity that is? I it'll probably take about three quarters. So that's to me guessing it's a on nearly a year long, you know, trade. Same with Spotify, same with, you know, so, a, you know, three quarters from now, what will be the, 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 the most underappreciated, you know, uh, ticker? We don't know uh, what three months from now, but for the time being, I feel like there's a whole bunch of underappreciated uh, trades. And that's why we're talking about this Uber one in light of Uber now starting to show that they're going to go into things other than food, I, to me, that's a slippery slope in a beautiful way. Meaning they'll they'll start. Ta but ta yeah. oh, sorry, ta here in Taiwan, they already do this. They collaborated with like Terraform, mm -hmm. even Terraform. Yeah. I mean the Uber Eats. Yeah, the Uber Eats. It's not on the Uber, but it's on the Uber Eats. So they deliver. If you want to buy some. Uh, groceries, like you can order it under the Uber. So I think yeah. it's already, yeah, that's right. Uber employing outside America. The way Uber operates is they let their what they call GMs, general managers, in each city, in each market, operate with a high degree of autonomy. Not only let them and highly encourage them to, so that these GMs are constantly testing new things. As I referred to my dearest friend William Barnes, who ran the whole West Coast of Uber out of LA, you know, he tested Uber Eats and it worked. And then the rest of Uber, it works so well that the rest of Uber now does it. That's how they do it. There's different GMs are testing different things in different markets all over the world. And when something works, then they start to, the other GMs and the other cities, uh, you know, they get together and they have these GM, you know, brainstorming sessions very regularly. So they share all of the best uh, data. I can imagine, I can start imagining Uber doing matchmaking where people get to share rides and get to know each other. Okay. Hey, hey, Tyler, are you aware what time it is, by the way? Just, just, you might want to check the clock. I think we've got, oh, you're right. We went, we did two and a half. Thank you. Okay. So we'll just rush through the other headlines and let me check my counter and make sure I didn't step over a call or a meeting or a lunch or something. Good. Thank you. So, um, then we'll just run through the other big headlines here. Qualcomm has an exclusive deal with Microsoft and Windows, blah, blah. Two former Netflix employees, one who just resigned at the center of the protests over David Chappelle's special, withdraw their 
uh, charge against the company with the uh, National Labor Board. So that's now two in, a, in about a week. So the two former Netflix employees withdraw their uh, Labor Board charge. Yeah, I, I actually chose not to send you that story today because I figured it would be a, a waste of time. It's, it is what it is. It's, they've settled everything, and we don't need to. And in my view, we don't need to discuss it. That's fine. What I, think it's, what I think is interesting yeah. is not that headline by itself. It's the fact that Apple, Ash, not Ashley, but the other lady uh, at Apple, who was part of the Apple II movement, also uh, resigned and also withdrew the NLRB charge. So you have Apple and Netflix who are both dealing with employees who were both uh, had gender-related issues at both companies, both filed NLRB issues, uh, charges, both have resigned, both have dropped NLRB charges, and, and life goes on at big tech. And if I wanted to, but I also chose not to, just uh, I'll just give you the, 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 the quick point. Bobby Kodak announced today that if he can't fix the situation at Activision, you know, the social situation very quickly, he will consider leaving. But he has not uh, said he's going to do that yet. But again, I didn't tweet that out because I just figured enough time on that, too, because there's so many other things going on. But Yeah, I don't think he plan. I think he's very confident that uh, the news cycles run so fast <laughs> that people will forget about that in about a week if he can just distract them for a week. So um, the next one, MoonPay, which lets users buy crypto with a credit card or Apple Pay or Google Pay, raises $555 million from Tiger Global. Uh, Royal, which helps musicians create and sell NFTs, share royalties with fans and more, raises $55 million. Zoom reports their Q3 revenue of one billion, up thirty-five percent year over year, and we weren't we were not doing tech news around the world when COVID started because we started this in around March or April, March or April. And uh, speaking to Professor's awesome point about my favorite stock picks, uh, that was a very obvious one to geeks when COVID was just starting. Was Zoom and. But that was like everyone was scrambling for like, oh, this pandemic's happening. What's going to be the hot startup? Well, from my perspective, it was Zoom. So um, no, that's no longer the case. Uh, I think there's it's still it's still a decent solution to a real problem that's ongoing. However, uh, I think we have a, a an, we're at an interesting moment where tech is so bountiful there's so much low-hanging fruit to choose from that i'm choosing between you know shopify and the short-term moves on social commerce and um so zoom is no longer zoom has, uh, zoom has, such, Tyler, yeah. uh, zoom has such an incredible uh, yesterday, potential yesterday i was at the department of trade uh, uh international trade uh, uh event for export um, champions kind of thing anyway but um, there was a speaker there who who has a global um, uh, company which sells a theme park they install theme parks around the world and what he was saying was that before he would have to take three or four people 
to wherever, to Vietnam or wherever they're going to do a deal. Now they're doing most of those deals uh, on Teams uh, or Zoom. And so it was like suggesting that they've actually saved money and that seems to be something that they will continue to keep because people have accepted that culture of not having to physically come with your team to yeah. uh, do the pitch. I think there's going to be um, other companies who are going to um, cannibalize Zoom's early lead now as we're getting into the later stage. Uh, and I'm, I'm watching Google's alternative, which was never that great initially, is now getting quite good. I've, I'm actually using the Google version of Zoom, Google Meet, I think they call it. But yeah, but it has a limitation of what fifty minutes or something like that. I don't, I don't think the Google one does. Zoom's a strange one because it, it's definitely technically just works better than than a lot of others in terms of the video quality, um, particularly. Uh, when I try alternatives, when people get me to jump, jump into Google or whatever, it's just the video quality for a start is nowhere near as good. But the market massively overvalued the impact, I think, of the pandemic on Zoom. I mean, it's down 60% since uh, since its peak in the pandemic now. It's been a really interesting one to watch because, uh, like you, Tyler, I would have thought it was a, a, a sure bet um, given, the, given the pandemic. But I think the market just, I don't know what the reasons are, but it just seemed to massively overvalue the impact of the pandemic on Zoom and maybe undervalue the uh, substitute opportunities like teams and and facetime and all the others so. mm -hmm. most big corporates though are using team because it's supposed to be more secure so my it's, university it's stuff is team and my company stuff i do with zoom because i find it easier and uh, to use zoom a lot of people are getting teams because they get it with their microsoft subscription thing so it's kind of bundled with it and it's it's good it's you know you can do a lot of things more than just uh, what you do with teams uh, with uh, with zoom but there's also webex which is now free also for uh the public which what is not used to be that way it does have a little bit of a bad reputation yeah. because for uh, the longest period of time it didn't improve in any way but now it has actually improved quite a bit so you've got a lot of options yeah you can you can just pick whatever whatever suits you whatever works for you uh these days we have uh, we are I think at luxury of these uh, uh, online meeting uh, platforms and just pick whatever you want you like. Yeah, there's going to be, there's, and in, one second, oh, there's going to be more options. Of course, there already is. But then there's also going to be Google does what Google does, which is make the price free. And that's going to be, and they're going to get, and that's where it gets hard to compete if you're somebody charging and then you've got a big player uh, that comes in and makes it free. That's an issue as well, Ben. Yeah, that's well, what interesting. So then we yeah. become the customer, right? We're yeah. the data point. Yes, but they're, yeah, they're, let's okay. not. Uh, they also, sorry, guys. The, let's the other, not forget Apple as well on that point. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I was going to say. The other interesting move is Apple has now made FaceTime available to anybody via a web link. So um, if you're an Apple, uh, you probably uh, you know all this from the last keynote. But if you want to set up a meeting now, the lowest friction way to do that is to just add add a FaceTime meeting on your on your Apple device, and then whoever's at the other end can can join in on whatever device via the web, which is um, which is interesting. It's interesting they're in that space as well. I think I heard a woman um, try to get into the conversation maybe four or five minutes ago. I don't know if it was Meta, but 
typically we have a culture, you know, just to create space for women um, when they're speaking, just not to speak over them. Netta, I don't know if you're still around or if you, if you're coming. You have such a big heart. Thank you so much. Um, That's actually, it's all right. I was actually listening in, not a problem, but, but thank you for saying that. I, my thing was, you guys were talking about Zoom. I'm just also surprised because it was just such a heavyweight during the pandemic. And it was just interesting to see that I would think that they were going to expand and kind of, you know, catch up with the rest of the apps out there and, and do something to make sure that everyone stays with them and, and offer them maybe different things where the competition was. But uh, I'm also surprised that Zoom just kind of slid backwards. You know, if not backwards, they didn't, you know, they stayed stagnant. Thank you, Lakeisha. Thanks, guys. So the next one is that a company called Geomart is disrupting the traditional salesperson-driven retail distribution model in India by offering mom-and-pop stores fast deliveries, <laughs> credit, and training. And that single headline summarizes the past two hours in, in <laughs> where we... Jesus, are they listening to you, Tyler? Yeah. Because that was really creepy. That was creepy, wasn't it? Um. You got the comment of the confluence and concrescence of every hot topic in one headline right there. You've got India, you've got mom and pop shops, you've got fast deliveries and credit. Uh, so the banking of mom and pop shops, the deliveries for mom and pop shops, <clears throat> the retail distribution. And again, it's one of the trends that, you know, there's a consistency to the observation that these things are now starting to happen uh, first in the east and then move their way west. So the next one, that's that's huge, but that does is an additional evidence point to that that is going to come to the west in the very near future where every mom and pop store will be able to sell everything through little uh, Uber, like autonomous vehicle networks to everybody all around all the time and help them discover it when they need it, da-da-da-da-da. So it's called Geomart. I would love to see if that's publicly traded. So the next one is UK's NCSC warns over 4,000 online stores that their customers' information is being compromised by attacks, exploiting unpatched uh, e-commerce software. And that's another daily reminder. Uh, And it's related to the... The headline before it of mom and pop shops all, all selling well 4,000 online stores uh, got hacked and this this is just it's, it's fun to do these headlines every day and see how these patterns just repeat themselves over and over doordash one of the biggest e-commerce delivery companies agrees to pay 5.3 million dollars to settle with san francisco <clears throat> over allegations that it that it stiffed or didn't pay 4,500 delivery workers uh, out of the city's mandated employee benefits. <clears throat> so the a five, $5.3 million fine for 4,500 delivery workers for their employee benefits. <clears throat> and then the world's fourth largest retailer, which is Lidl, L-I-D-L, uh, which the Europeans know very well, uh, the owner, the Schwartz Group, buys uh, XM Cyber, which simulates cyber attacks on companies for $700 million to boost its cloud business. That's kind of an interesting move. It's a penetration testing, simulating cyber attacks. There's dozens, and if not a hundred, of these companies, and I'm an advisor to one of them out of Stockholm. But um, 
the this huge space of penetration testing, cyber security simulations. But to see little parent company buy one, that's kind of interesting. Um, Tyler, yes. is um, is little a Dutch organization? And I, it's somewhere around there. I think it's either Dutch or German. I thought it was German. Yeah, okay. I think I think it's German, MA. Yeah, from yeah, their practice. I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, I know there's a lot of littles over here in Aldi as well. And I'm just thinking that it would either be German or Dutch because that would make sense, right, mm -hmm. Tyler? Yeah. Because then they actually could, I mean, they're dealing with the food supply, you know, the supply chain. Yeah. And it's been happening in Sweden, as we saw a few months ago, yeah. that maybe they're just being proactive yeah. and they're investing in protecting their chain. So that's exactly right, because the, 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 these big food companies are the prime targets for a lot of these cyber attacks as we've said many times here. Tyler, on, on the cyber attacks, um, one that has me scratching my head on a valuation on a stock front is Palantir. Because yeah. have you seen the price of that recently? It's just absolutely got mangled. And I don't quite understand it because to your point on the trends, like with everyone getting hacked, you would have thought that their star would have been rising. Have you got a That's not their main view on that? The Palantir was making a lot during COVID uh, consulting governments, notably Greece and the UK, the NHS, on analyzing all the data around COVID, uh, kind of behind the scenes. And with co with that potentially winding down, Palantir is inter really interesting, but they do so many interesting deep dive, data-rich, data-intensive uh, projects for governments, like uh, intelligence agencies. Um that it's hard to know what they're doing. The, the most interesting headline out of Palantir recently was that they just bought a shit ton of physical gold because they believe there's going to be a black swan event that's going to make gold more valuable than other things relatively, <laughs> which means what? Massive inflation? Or is this, is this a, a hedge against, you know, a dollar inflationary thing or, you know, Really How much gold did they buy? Yeah. Th How this much could gold? be no. this could be quantum computing breaking uh, crypto. I was going to say the same thing. It could be. You're right. <laughs> yes. It could be like uh, uh, quantum computers cracking crypto, and you know, uh, you're right. That could. That's a legitimate uh, option. So that's some time away then. Yeah. Um, although, How much gold? How much gold did they buy? Do you know? And I don't. They did. They did hint. It was not. A, it was not a trivial amount. I remember that. And they. They also. Yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting, Tyler, because if I look at the track price of gold, like ten years ago, one six six five, today you would have only made like a hundred and fifty dollars. Um, you know, over a ten year period, and we like it was back post uh, recession. It was being talked about as a hedge against inflation. I don't know. It's kind of it's just so difficult, isn't it, to um, to plot that move? I understand the the basics of it around like finite supply, blah blah blah. But yeah, it's just we don't we don't really know how gold works against inflation anymore because it's been thirty forty years since we've had the kind of level of inflation um, that was severe enough to test it. And so you know when we've had like more minor move moves in interest rates. You know, gold's not exactly a, a great pure hedge, but then again, we haven't had really significant inflation, you know, for you know forty years or something. Um, 
But, you know, Palantir is very close to the U.S. government, as you point out, Tyler, and they do a lot of defense things. And I'm not saying this is related, but uh, uh, Biden today, when he renominated Jerome Powell, part of his statement was that uh, Jerome Powell is going to help, help us deal with some of the threats to the financial system. And one of the threats he listed was crypto. So, <laughs> so, so uh, can, can someone explain to me why now uh, gold remains to be in any way, um, you know, helpful for the world economy when we have a lot of other things like intellectual property that might actually be worth something more than gold uh, in, in a period of time. Why do we still cling to gold? It's a precious metal. Well, it's uh, highly durable and there's a market for it. And yeah. gold specifically also benefits from having little other use. So the value you attribute to it doesn't get muddied with other uses that, I mean, this is like the problem silver has, even though it's more plentiful, it is actually useful. So uh, the, the value kind of gets diluted a little bit. That's, yeah, that's my yeah I, I, I've been wrong just... on silver my entire career, by the way, because I always thought silver should be better than gold because of its industrial use. You have every silver in every cell phone. And it doesn't seem to work, even though the technical chart recently on silver looks pretty good. I, I think our, I, I just don't find our, the use for it. I mean, I know it's a good store of value, uh, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying else. to make the point. I'm trying to make the point that no other use for it is a feature, not a bug. No, no. I mean, the other use <laughs> for gold is that people people want it for jewelry. Now, I mean, that's a psychological thing, but it's real. I mean, a lot of gold goes into jewelry. People still want gold for jewelry. That's a big use. It's not a very substantial right. use. That's right, what I'm right. saying. Is all, that, all the gold I mean, used for jewelry is not nothing compared to the gold that is used for storage of value. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, the, the, the point I'm making, and sort of this is part of our thesis revelation, is that the uselessness of gold is a feature. It is precisely one reason why you can store value in it and it will retain it because nobody else bothers to take it out for any other use. I think that's a counterintuitive aspect of it that we think is interesting. The same thing is true for Bitcoin. Its uselessness it's is part of its value. Yeah, I think it's just psychological. At some point, we're going to outgrow this. And I then... think it's a market. I don't believe it's psychological per se. I think the fact that there is a supply and demand and there is an expected future demand Really, expected future demand is what gives it value. So there's, there's okay. a few a few thoughts. Um, the, the, on the jewelry side, I mean, India Indian citizens have about one. It's not necessarily you don't necessarily call this jewelry, but Indian citizens huddle about one point four trillion dollars of gold, which is um, a little over ten percent of the, like right. the global so global that's... total of gold. So I'd say that's fairly significant. Um, I'm not sure it's a great store of value in the it, well. Historically, it's been interesting. It's always been at a bayou. An ounce of gold has always brought you a nicely tailored suit. So maybe that maybe that's a good indication. There's the 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 fascinating thing to think about when you think about store of value. In my mind, is it, you're asking the question: If I put away value that I've created today, will I be able to buy something similar or better tomorrow? That's one way of looking at it. You know that if you put dollars under the bed, you won't. Um, but then you've got this technologically driven deflation, um, and that can be dramatic. If you ask the question. Uh, 10 years ago, uh, how much hard drive space could $300 buy me? And then, then you're not in inflation at all. And it's quite interesting to think about where the limits of what technology can do for deflation driving and automation to Tyler's points about robotics driving, uh, driving prices down. So, um, yeah, just a couple of thoughts there on gold.
Good talk. Those are right on. Mentioned this one ounce of gold now might be able to buy you like you know a high end uh, iPhone. Um, ten years ago, you, it would have buy, bought you five high end iPhones. Um, it's it looks like it is just going down in in the actual value for things that we are buying these days. So, I don't know if we continue this trend. Uh, maybe an ounce of gold will be able to get you uh, a fraction of a of a decent iPhone in ten years. Yeah, iPhones becoming expensive. It's the iPhone getting expensive, not the gold getting cheaper. So, See, some things have more value. Carl had an interesting point uh, to share about um, the how little or ID L I D L, however that's pronounced in German, is um, the that they don't do e-commerce. But uh, so doing, buying this cyber penetration company might be an indication that they're going to go into e-commerce in a similar way that Walmart and others have done. So that, that you could make a nice trade on that headline if it's coming in the next uh, near future. The, the next one that I want to share, though, is from Forbes about a startup called LTK, a marketplace for creators, raises $300 million from SoftBank. And says it has more than 130 influencers that have become millionaires on the platform. LTK co-founder Amber Zenz uh, is now now one of America's richest self-made women after SoftBank fundraising. Uh, in a sign. It's a Dallas-based tech platform that enables more than 150,000 social media influencers to make their posts shoppable. So that's SoftBank betting on social commerce. So the next one is... Mm -mm. No, actually, we've gone through the boring headlines, and now we get into the... Well, let me refresh the page and see if Yes. Do you need to run soon or can I cover a topic? Because... You, yeah, you can cover one, but I have like four tweets I want to share. Okay, great. Um, so I've invited my friend on stage now. Um, he's actually, okay, I'm going to tweak this article out first. Uh, he's actually working on a robotic coffee barista. It's called Ella. So he's currently in Tokyo because he's going to launch uh, the uh, project in uh, Tokyo soon, so uh, I've invited him, so he kindly accepted the invite and he's on stage now. So I've tweeted the article on top, uh, it is regarding um, how to convert traditional coffee shop business into a tech company. So um, Keith, are you there? Before, if you are, can you please unmind? Before, <laughs> because I, I know you're pretty new to Clubhouse. Before he joins, let me share two quick tweets because I got to run. Sure. Okay. So real fast, uh, I'm tweeting this one out now from CNBC. It says, people with more than 10,000 Twitter followers can now earn money from tweeting. Here's how. Tweeting, uh, Twitter on Wednesday launched Super Followers, a feature that allows select users to charge others for access to subscriber-only content. Okay. And next one is, a robot waiters take Iraq's uh, back, it takes Iraq back to the future. For a ruble of Iraq's, from from the rubble of Iraq's war-ravaged city of Mosul, 
uh, arises the sight of androids gliding back and forth in a restaurant to serve their amused clientele. So now you've got robots in cafes in Iraq's uh, Mosul or Mosul. And Saudamini shares one about an AI tool that lets you visualize how climate change can affect your home. The new tool with cutting edge image recognition AI lets you visualize the future effects of climate change on any place in the world, including your own home. And trials begin on a revolutionary women's smartwatch safety app. Trials begin this week in the UK on a revolutionary new smartwatch app that monitors a wearer's heart rate and body motion to sense distress and take automatic actions on your behalf if you're distressed. That's kind of genius, by the way. And kids and teens believe that girls aren't interested in computer science, according to a study. Children as young as six develop ideas that girls are less interested than boys in computer science and engineering. So if children aren't born racist, but they're born thinking women don't like uh, technology. Uh, Tragedy. New research outlines how longer lives are tied to physical activity. Just about everyone knows that exercise is good for you. Some people can't even rattle off reasons that keep your muscles and joints strong. And now research shows clearly that it uh, extends your life as well. And lastly, for me, I think, yeah, the last one for me, Cheryl, is this one from Saudamini. NASA prepares to deflect asteroid for first time in a planetary defense test. Launched on top of SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket, scientists plan to fly the spacecraft directly into a distant asteroid to test their ability to alter its direction. Tyler, it's a moonlit. It's not an asteroid. Okay, well, there we go. That changes everything. It's the little yep. thing that orbits an asteroid. Okay. Fair enough. Cheryl, take it away. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, Keith, are you able to unmic now? Yes. Hello, Cheryl. Hi, Thanks Keith. for inviting me. Welcome to join us on stage. Yeah, it's yeah, my first time on here. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in quarantine. I'm, 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 I'm here five days of my 10-day quarantine in, in, in Tokyo. <laughs> I hope you're doing okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Yep. I'm doing a lot of push-ups, keep myself <laughs> um, healthy and fit. <laughs> Great. Yeah, Chevy, that's your story. How do you, uh, you know, transform a traditional coffee shop in Singapore and now become an international brand? I also understand that you currently, I mean, recently did a Dubai show, right? And it was very well received. And now yeah. you're in Tokyo. You, are, you had a collaboration with JR East, which is the biggest uh, Japan rail in, in Japan. Sure. So why don't you do a one hour session with them? Like the, the start today's setup. Sure. Yeah. I can do that too, but yeah. now Keith, can you quickly give us an overview? Oh yeah, sure. So, um, we started off as a coffee shop in Singapore and obviously we faced a lot of challenges, you know, scaling traditionally. And, um, about three years ago, we decided to, to automate the entire process, rethinking the business model and we created Ella. And um, last year, we received some investments from um, East Japan Railway. So they're facing a huge uh, labor uh, challenge here in Japan, much more acute than Singapore. And I think uh, with the pandemic, you know, 
traditional retails facing that that disruption. And Ella happened to be autonomous and she is contactless. So we are here today. Uh, we are launching Ella on the 8th of December in Tokyo Station and Yokohama. So I'm really excited to share our story. I mean, if we have a session later, I, I'm happy to go through, you know, the entire process, right? How we built it and uh, the challenges involved and, and what's in it for us in the future. Thank you very much, Keith. So if that's the case, uh, I think we'll arrange uh, separately on uh, a session on today's setup so that you can tell us, you know, in greater detail on, uh, yeah, uh, how, you know, your, your setup journey and the challenges you have faced throughout this and, uh, yeah. So thank you very much for sharing. Happy to share. Thank you so much. Thanks. Welcome. Okay, Tyler. Okay, well, that takes us to the end of another Tech News Around the World three-hour edition today. And I got to run to the Apple store. It's only two hours. Oh, you're right. Two hours. You're right. Okay, fair enough. So so what are you going to do at the Apple store? Got to fix fix my AirPods and do some Christmas shopping. My new MacBook Pro pain. Thanks, Tyler. No, Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. See you later. Alrighty. All right. See you next time. Thanks, Tyler. Yep.